0: There's a a saying that I've used before in class, and it's very true right along with what you're saying. Circumstances will either make a person bitter or better, and there's no two ways around that. If a person points their heart to the Lord as a Christian, no matter what the circumstance, no matter how bad it is, no matter what the suffering, it doesn't matter. You can draw closer to the Lord, and it will make you a better Christian or you can be offended and you can move a different direction, you can become bitter, you can become angry at God, and we see a lot of that, and so So it's not so much the circumstances, it's the heart of the individual in the circumstances. That's going to be, uh, will determine the reaction coming out from them, their heart. So it's a good prayer to pray, Lord, soften my heart and keep it soft, because we don't know what circumstances await us in our lives. I mean, you know, we're, we're not all dead. We're here. We're alive. And as long as we're alive, we will experience blessing. We'll experience uh, sometimes suffering or whatever may come down the road. The world experiences suffering just like the Christian, but they have no hope. They have no benefit from it. Nothing is changed in them as far as the character of God. So, you have the opportunity through the things you experience, the circumstances we experience, to become better, to actually have the Lord work on you like a piece of clay and and bring you to a place where he can place much of the character of Christ in us, which is tremendous. Now, I mentioned Epicurean. Epicurean was a Greek philosopher, and when I, when I read this, this was a philosophy that was birthed in Greece. Okay. And you can see this today, you can hear this today from people's mouth, and they don't even know that that's the Epicurean philosophy. But he was a philosopher that asked the question known as the Epicurean paradox. And this is it. Either God wants to abolish evil and cannot or he can, but not, does not want to. If he wants to, but cannot, he is impotent. If he can, but does not want to, he is wicked. If God can abolish evil, and God really wants to, to do it, why is there evil in the world? So he's using the reasoning of seeing people suffer, seeing different things happen in his lifetime, and he's basically saying that that god is evil because he doesn't, you know. And you hear this from people. I I hear, heard this a few weeks ago from an individual, you know, you know, god doesn't want to change what's going on. Why doesn't he, you know, get rid of the evil in the world and all this other stuff? We're going to deal with this because this relates to revelation toward the end. I want to show you uh, how this relates to, to Revelation and, and how God is going to do something. But let's begin with uh, Genesis, like you were talking about. When you read Revelation, in, in particular, whenever we were dealing with the wrath of God, you see His wrath pr- poured out on the earth, on the sea, on the rivers, on the sun. You see darkness. You see the loosing of the Euphrates, kings and you see the manifestation of uh, demon activity in the world at that time. You see the nations, the, the huge earthquake, and the, the um, cities of the nations fall. And that's just a few things. And you read some of those chapters, there's so much that's going on, and that's going to cause not only worldwide chaos, it's going to cause tremendous suffering and death of, of a, how can I say this? Man has never, ever experienced anything like that, like what's going to happen in Revelation, ever before. And it's going to be a perilous time for people to be living on the earth. And the question is, why? Why doesn't he come and put an end to that? We're going to look at that later on. But let's begin in Genesis. I want to read some verses there, because when you go to Genesis you know, there are people that don't even believe the account in Genesis, you know. A lot of people don't believe it. They, they think it's a bunch of fairy tales. You know, you know God created... It's like somebody said to me a couple of weeks back, they were pondering where we came from. Well, I know where we came from. God created us. But people that are in the world that are in unbelief, they don't see that. You know, they uh, hold to this evolution, the evolvement of man from a lower species and all this other stuff that has been, you know, put out there to to create confusion. And so in Genesis 3, 6, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desire to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and they did eat. So, this was the fruit, of course, that God told Adam and Eve not to partake of in the garden. And this was the act of disobedience which brought about sin, bringing that sin to Adam and to Eve. Verse 16, after that, unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife and hast not and, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow thou shalt eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns and thistle thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground, uh, for out of it, and he goes on and on. So with this initial sin of Adam and Eve, that brings about something upon the earth that the earth has never experienced. No one has ever experienced, creation hasn't experienced the sin that we see. So sin now enters, and we don't understand and realize how that has affected all of creation. All of mankind now is affected by that. The entire creation is affected by that, so that the consequence, suffering now becomes a consequence of man's sin, a consequence of the fall of man. That's If you want to lay blame for suffering, that's one of the best places to lay blame. Now, I'm not saying that that's the whole thing. We're going to continue on. But the curse came upon the ground. And I would describe the curse this way. The easiest way is life became difficult. The earth did not produce anywhere near as it did before. So man is going to have to toil and sweat and work to get just enough produced to meet his needs. Whereas before, the earth just grew. And you know, there weren't the weeds you know, like you have in your garden. You say, oh my gosh, pick them out, and a couple weeks later, they're there again. And it seems as though your vegetables don't want to grow as fast as the weeds. Well, that's part of the curse. Now remember this, and I'll just interject this. God cursed the ground but he didn't curse man. He cursed the ground. Man chose sin, and that has affected him ever since. In many, many ways, of course, we know spiritually, and and after you go past whenever man started to eat animals, and then you you move further past that um, a ways, you begin to see a deterioration after um, the flood, where man doesn't live as long as he did. And that keeps on going down and down and down and down. First it was 900, and you can just, just trace that through the scriptures. Then it goes down to six, 700, then 500, then 200. Then it's down to 80 or, or whatever. So there, there was something that affected that, and I believe it was the sin of Adam and Eve. Affected man even physically, every way. The word curse means slightness. That's one of the meanings of it, slightness. So that 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 which was grown uh, would only provide slightly for man. It's going to be a, a problem. Now turn to Romans 5. And these scriptures we know, we've read, but this points back to Genesis, and then it also points toward the Lord and our redemption. Verse 12, wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. So he's talking about Adam and how Adam sinned and Eve sinned, and sin entered into the world. And it says death by sin. So now that adds another uh, word there, another realm, that death has moved out because of the sin of Adam and Eve throughout all mankind, throughout all the world. And it had its entrance through a man and a woman. And so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. So we were born... And as you well know, you have a child who's born, and you never have to teach the child to do wrong. They, they do wrong automatically. Why is that? They get into things that, you know, they have an attitude, whatever, they're screaming, they're carrying on, all these different things. Why? You have to take the child, and you have to teach them the right path. You have to teach them good they learn evil right away. And why are they learning? How are they learning? it? It's because of the nature that they were born with. So he says here, so death passed upon all men. Every man that was born now has suffered in, in a way because the, the death, the sin, is now a part of their old nature, and that finds its expression in them and through them. And, and so that there you have it. And then in Romans 3.23, it says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So this all can be traced back to Genesis. The problems that you see today mainly move out from Genesis. Man has sinned. Now, that's hard for man to see that. And sometimes, I guess it's hard for Christians to see that and understand it, but that's that's the way it is. That's true. Now, in James 1, you see the same thing basically here. Verse 14, And every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and entice. See, that's the sin nature. The nature within him has drawn him away it draws him away and entices him. Then when lust hath conceived, his desire, when, when it's conceived, when it, you know, he gets his way, it brings forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. So you see the progression there down from one thing to another to another. And, and that goes right back to Genesis, where man sinned, and that brought forth all kind of trouble, it brought forth problems, it brought forth death. To all of them and to their, their families and so on. And I just don't, physical death, yes, but death is more than just physical death. You know, death is something that resides within and that causes people to act and do and function and move a certain way based upon their <coughs> carnal nature and the sin and the death that is there. You know, why do we die? Good question. They can't figure it out. They think that, I I heard something not too long ago where, uh, you know, they, they study man and they study how the immune system is and they said the way man's body is, he should just live. He should constantly, he should just rebuild and he shouldn't die. They think it's all dealing with the genes, you know, if you can manipulate a certain gene that you can have the fountain of youth. Well, I got news for you. Death abides, and no matter what they do, and no matter what genes they manipulate, they're not going to bring death out of the person. That's a consequence of the sin of Adam and Eve. The soul that sinneth, it shall surely die. This is what the Bible says. Now in Jeremiah, uh, turn to Genesis 6. This is a portion of Scripture you're familiar with in Genesis, excuse me, Jeremiah seventeen nine It says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Now, in Genesis 6... Verse 5, and God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. See, that's the, the sin and the death working in man. And it wasn't too far removed from Adam. You can see, if, if you look in the chapter before this, you'll see the generations of Adam. And I mean, I don't know how many uh, hundred years, a couple hundred years, I don't know. But that's still not too far removed from Adam and Eve. And right away you see that God saw that the, the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And then in chapter 8, in Genesis, verse 21, And the Lord smelled a sweet savor, and the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake, for the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I smite any more every living thing as I have done. So part of the curse there was God smote, smote every living thing. So you think that man is the only one that has to suffer because of thin, sin. It's not true. The animals in all creation, there's, there's a suffering there that we really don't understand. They're not functioning in the way they functioned before the fall of man. Remember it says that there'll come a day when the lion will lie down next to the lamb. See, that's the way it was before sin. So sin has even affected the animal kingdom. Someday that will be restored, and you won't have this, you know, you know how the animals want to go at each other and kill each other. You won't have that anymore. Now, in, I'll read a couple of scriptures here. In, this is Psalm 51.5. The psalmist says, Behold, I was shapened in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. So you can see that there's something going on inside. The psalmist recognized that. And in Matthew 15, 19, and 20 says this, For out of the the heart, or out of the carnal, the sinful heart proceeds evil thoughts, murders, now listen to this list. And think about this for a minute. This list shows us And it tells us that there are things that will come out from the evil heart of man that will produce suffering and problems in every area. So he says, out of the sinful heart proceeds evil thoughts, murders. Now, murder affects the person that's murdered. It affects their family. It affects their neighbors. It's not just one person that ends up suffering for something like that. It's it's a progression. It just affects all kinds of people. Adultery is another thing. That just doesn't affect one person. That affects the person's mate. It affects their children, their, their maybe their extended family. Who knows? It, it has an effect. Fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies, these are the things which defile a man. See, those are the things that will promote suffering in the world. See, and God is not involved in any of that at all. See, that is a result, once again, of the failure in the Garden of Eden of Adam and Eve. And that is brought down onto us, and you know, we have to go to the Lord to have that changed in us. Now, all of us, if you've lived a few years, you can look out into the world and you can see lots of suffering, can't you? And some of it has come very close to us. Some of us have endured certain things and suffered certain things. But do we trust the Lord is my question. See, do I trust the Lord when I see something I don't understand? Why is that taking place? Am I going to become offended at God? Or can I trust the Lord and say, Lord, I know you know what you're doing? Do you believe that God knows what he's doing? See, because there is going to come a time in all of our lives when we will experience things, we won't understand them. We will say, Lord, where are you? What's going on with this? And we have to believe God and trust him that he knows what he's doing. And we can't see the workings of all these things. See, God knows the beginning from the end. We don't. Our vision of something is very limited. It's usually limited to the very thing in front of us. We can't see how a thousand other things or a thousand other people are affected by one thing. See, we don't see all that, but God does. And I trust that he knows what he's doing, and he's going to someday reveal a lot of things, We're going to see things and we're going to say, oh, now I see. Now I understand. But on this earth, for the most part, we won't see certain things. Now, it's nice if we can, but it's not necessary. What is necessary for us is that we trust God with our lives. And if we don't understand something, then we don't understand it and still believe and trust him. Now, in Genesis, well, turn to uh, Romans 1. I'll read something in Genesis here. So we, are to have, we are to have faith in God no matter what. Genesis 18.25. And this is Abraham. I, I can't remember if this was dealing with Lot. I, I don't remember. But Abraham makes this statement. Shall not the judge of the earth do right? So you can see this faith toward God in a lot of the prophets, and a lot of the, as you would say, the church fathers, however you want to say, uh, the patriarchs, he says, shall not the judge of the earth do right? Well, do I believe that God can do right? or, Or do I disagree with God because I don't understand something? People in the world, they don't agree with God many times because they don't see, they don't understand, and they just, and I told you this several times, the one individual who had a, a loved one of his had a, a problem, and they suffered, and I, I believe they died. And he was so angry about that that he says, "You know, you know how to spell God's name backward." He says, "And that's exactly what he is." And and he said that in front of you know a bunch of people, and very very angry. Well, you know, I understand that in the world people have that attitude. But as Christians, we need to guard our heart toward that type of a thing and trust God and and just believe him whether we understand it or see it or not. It doesn't matter. That's, you know, where were you when God says to Job? Where were you when I framed the foundations of the world? (laughs) You're going to advise me? (laughs) Where were you? How many here could take a star and fling it into space, into orbit, and have it, you know, stay in that orbit for a million years. Kind of makes you feel a little small, doesn't it? I mean, who's going to be able to do something like that? Man can't even figure out completely the complexity of the bodies that we have. And God created it all. And man can't even plumb the depth, of the germs that you find on the palm of your hand. And God created that. And when they, when they start to understand and learn what they are, it goes further down than that. To eventually they just are totally lost. There isn't a microscope probably that's strong enough to get down to the bottom of certain things. Or a telescope is powerful enough to see out as far. So who is going to advise God? Oh, you're, you're not doing things the right way here you're allowing this to happen or that to happen you know well it shows that we have no conception of how great god is and i don't mean us here i mean people in general or even some christians have no idea romans 117 verse yeah verse 17 for therein is the righteousness of god revealed so he wants to reveal his righteousness Or that word righteousness means fairness of character. That's one of the meanings. In other words, he's going to do what is right. So, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. So as you move from faith to faith, from the measure of faith you have today, God increases that, and you move from what you have, from faith to faith, to another measure of faith in between that move spiritually the righteousness of God will begin to be revealed to you and so you will begin to see the rightness of character i don't even concern myself when i see certain things you know i don't i might not understand them but i don't really fret over them you know you see some of these massive earthquakes you know god has things under control and I'm not going to debate whether God's the one to cause it or the devil's the one to cause it because there's a lot of people in both camps. For me, it doesn't really matter. I'm keeping my eyes and my attention on Jesus Christ and what goes on doesn't affect my faith at all. You know, My faith, my trust, uh, the focus of my heart and life is Jesus Christ because he's the one that's going to help us make it through. And don't let people trip you up with, well, if God is so powerful, if he's all-powerful, can he create a rock that he can't lift? What in the world is that? Anybody ever tell you that? (laughs) I must run into all these people. I don't know. Can God create a rock he can't lift? I said, that's an exercise in futility even thinking about it. (laughs) who cares see I know who he is I know that my redeemer liveth Job said it doesn't matter now uh turn to Job now remember this I was just saying that you are to have faith in God no matter what but faithfulness you can be faithful how many here Want to be faithful. Don't raise your hands. Want to be faithful Christians. I believe we all do. We all want to be faithful. And you can be as faithful as faithful can be. But faithfulness does not guarantee that you won't have problems. You won't have troubles. You won't have testing. You won't have temptation. You won't have pain. Faithfulness is no guarantee that you won't experience any of those. What's it say of Job? Let me see here. It's been a long time since I read anything in Job here. Uh, Yeah, verse 1, it says, "Um, There was a man in the land of Uz, whose name was Job. And that man was perfect and upright, and one that feareth God and eschewed evil. So Job seemed to be moving in a, a correct way with God. His life was where it should have been. But if you go down and chapter 2 verse 7 so went forth so went satan forth from the presence of the lord and smote job with sore boils now remember job doesn't know what's going on here he's not reading the bible and saying oh i see satan's bringing this or you know he he doesn't know he's basically in the dark with some of this stuff so now it becomes Am I going to have trust and faith in God, or am I going to curse God and die? And he smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto his crown, unto his head. And he took him a pot shirt to scrape, or a pot, uh, to scrape himself with all, and he sat down, down among the ashes. So even though Job was faithful, Even though Joseph was faithful, you can see this throughout the Bible, even though Paul the Apostle was faithful, they had to endure and experience certain trials, certain sufferings, uh, certain persecutions, certain temptations, certain tests, and so on. It doesn't exempt them from that as it doesn't exempt us. Now, everybody's life is not one big, huge trial. Like somebody said to me once, Oh, My marriage is nothing. The whole thing is nothing but a big trial. Well, you know why it's a big trial? (coughs) Because you haven't passed not one test in it. Because if you start to pass the test, then the thing just, and it becomes what it should be. As far as you relating to your wife or your husband. It's not, you know, your husband and wife is not put on this earth to to be your trial in life. Not to be like one person said... (laughs) oh, my mate is my cross. I said, no, they're not. <laughs> 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 no, they're not. <laughs> so you have to endorse some things. So what? That has nothing to do with, that's not, you know, we have all these things we come out with, but that's not necessarily accurate. So, <clears throat> okay. Now, you know that, It doesn't matter whether you're a a, a Christian, a believer, or an unbeliever. We sometimes suffer, or people suffer, because of the decisions that they make. A wrong decision, don't blame it on God if you decide to, to make a wrong decision, and it brings you into some type of suffering. And this happens much more frequently than we really think. We just don't see what goes on. People will make a decision. Christians will make a decision. And from that decision will come uh, uh, something else, and they'll be in that, and they'll say, why do I have to suffer? What's going on here? Well, it very well may be because of the decision that you made. So that is the same with people that are saved and people that are not. They, They can suffer. We can suffer because of certain decisions. And, and that's just the way it is. And I'm not going to give you examples. I'm sure you're all thinking of some. You know, how the the man who left left his wife, and and he's out there doing all this stuff, and ends up, you know, in all kind of trouble. And he's wondering why he's getting in trouble. Well, I can tell you why. He's moved away from the will of God. And he's going to have to suffer certain things. I I know an individual. Uh, very well, spent a lot of time with him as a Christian, discipling him, and there was a problem in his marriage, and it got to the point where he couldn't take it anymore, and he got involved with another woman, eventually left his wife, moved to another state, and basically said that, and I actually think he, he actually said this, that you know, I'll suffer whatever I have to suffer as long as I don't have to be married to her. Well, he's going to find out, if he hasn't already, that he's going to suffer more than he's ever thought. He's going to get in big trouble because not only is he moving away from what God has, has ordained for his life, but now he's moving in other ways in which certain things will come upon him That would have never come upon him and been in his life if he would have stayed in the boundaries that God had set up for him. He would have been able to deal with some of the things that, you know, were going on. So we can make decisions, anybody, that that can cause sufferings and, and problems. Now, turn to Acts, let me see, turn to 2 Peter, turn to Acts 17, 6, Vic, now, another means of suffering, Christians suffer because we live in a sinful and corrupt world. Ezekiel, I'll read one verse from Ezekiel nine four, And the Lord said unto him, Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and set a mark upon the forehead of the men that sighed and that cried for the abominations that were done in the midst thereof. So he's saying that, You know, those that had a heart that they didn't want to be in this society that was, you know, filled with corruption, he said, you you put a seal on them. But the point being is that there were those who had to live in a corrupt, immoral, sinful uh, society, a corrupt world, and when you live in a corrupt world, you are affected by certain things, and you will have an aspect that there is an aspect or an area of suffering that will come just because of that, uh, In Acts 17 1716. Uh, so Paul ha- had to deal with this city filled with idolatry. And you can trace that back in the scriptures. There were different people. That had to deal with that. The prophets and godly people who were in society at the time. uh, Remember, the children of Israel got into idolatry, and you had Moses and Joshua and Caleb, those that were walking with God. They had to endure certain things because of where the people were. Have you ever thought about this? The children of Israel. Sinned and God had them wandering in the wilderness for how many years? 40 years. What did Moses do wrong? What did Joshua do wrong? See, they were righteous, they were walking with God, but yet they had to suffer because of the actions of the people. They had to endure to some degree, of course, they weren't enduring in the inner suffering. But they were enduring the suffering of being in the wilderness for 40 years. You know, what did they do wrong? They didn't do anything wrong. See, so these things affect us. And, you know, a lot of what goes on is because of the corrupt society that we live in. And, you know, a lot of things affect the Christian because of that. It shouldn't affect you in your inner man. See, see, that should be a place where God has placed a guard, so to speak. See, so that certain things don't change your heart. They don't move you. But you're living in the society, and there are things that will affect you. Now, in, and here's a good example in 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 2. Now, there's a couple of things here that I'll mention. Verse 7. And this is whenever the angels went into Sodom and Gomorrah. And they delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy behavior of the wicked. So, um, how that say in ESV, please? Greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked. He was distressed by the conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing vexing his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. Now, remember, this was a choice of lots, by the way. So his choice here actually brought him into this type of a suffering. So that's what we just talked about a few minutes ago. But he still had to to deal with the corruptness in that society. Where Abraham, he was out away from uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, and he wasn't affected by that because he wasn't there. He wasn't in that situation. And then we come down to people suffer. In particular, I'm talking about Christians suffer at the hands of Satan. Uh, this is from St. Peter, uh, Revelation 12:13. And when the dragon saw that he was cast to the earth, it's talking about the dragon, the red dragon, Satan, the devil, the same same individual. It says, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. The woman is you know, the church. And that still goes on today. In 1 Peter 5, verse 8, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith the knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. So once again you see that Satan can be after some people. Do you know that Satan can be after you? <laughs> no? You don't know that? You no, know, you've all experienced that, haven't you? Maybe not him per se, but one of his he gives the orders is his demon you know army. A few of them. <laughs> They're out right after you. Well, that's no big deal, really. But the point is that Satan can make things difficult. Satan made things difficult for the early church in one respect because they were being persecuted. Now, he couldn't touch what God had done in them, but he sure made it difficult for them in the world, in the, in the exterior things. In First Corinthians or no, excuse me, Second Corinthians four four, but if our gospel be hid, it is hidden to them that are lost. In whom the God of this world, the God of this world is speaking of Satan, hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. So he blinds the minds of those who don't believe. And whenever a person's mind is blinded, then they will make choices and make certain decisions. They will go a certain way, follow a certain path, and that path will bring suffering to them. So Satan is very good at the things he does. And you know I don't ever talk about, much about Satan. I don't give him too much credence for anything. I feel that if you walk with God, you don't have to be concerned about him at all. You're walking with Him. You know, Satan's not doing anything, you know, as far as uh, disrupting the, the, the spirit, your spirit, as far as the communion you have with God. He's not going to interfere with that. He can try to scare you, he can try to frighten you, but he's not going to do anything, see, because you're in the hand of God, and He'll take care of. It. But nevertheless, He still tries to. He's like the little. Little chihuahua that tries to nip at your shoes. It's very annoying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Anybody ever have a chihuahua nipping at you? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. You turn around and try to get him and whoosh, he's fifty feet away that fast. Like, what's with this? When I use it in my mail delivery days, some of his little dogs were the worst. Mm-hmm. So it's just like Satan. He's got a little dog. Some people say he has no teeth. Well, you know. I don't know. Still a little annoying sometimes though, isn't he? But don't give him too much credit, because he's not too smart. He knows what's going to happen in Revelation, still he persists in the way he's going. So he's not really that smart. He's deceptive, he'll deceive you, he'll trick you, but all in all he's not too smart. His reasoning isn't too well. He's he's not too together. I'm going to continue to do all this. And it says right in there, you know, he, he knows Scripture. He quoted it to Jesus. Still in Revelation, says says, you know, this is what's going to happen. And he's going to do this, and God's going to, you know, change that, which he does. And this is how it's going to happen, and this is what's going to take place. And he still goes down that road. So I I don't know. So anyway, let me read two more verses. And we know... <clears throat> that we are of God and the whole world, life, and wickedness, John says. Now in uh, Hebrews, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had power of death, that is, the devil. So as I said, even though Satan can't affect, in some respects, individuals, he can cause them problems. He can bring some suffering, but still, you know, God's in control. Now, here comes something else. God is involved in our suffering sometimes. It's not just all Satan. And I'll just read a verse from Genesis, and this is dealing with Joseph. Genesis 50, verse 20. You don't have to turn there. Joseph says, but as for me, he's talking to his brothers. Ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. So when you go back and trace the things that Joseph had to go through, he had to suffer. Would anybody agree that he had to suffer? He was in prison. He suffered wrongfully in Potiphar's house and so on. He was thrown by his brothers into a pit to begin with. So all these different things you see suffering, but God was involved in that because God was going to use him to be the savior of the world. Just like with Jesus, Jesus had to suffer and he became the savior of the world. So Christians are not exempt and God many times is involved with certain things as far as our lives and our circumstances. He allows certain things to happen for reasons and that reason very well may be, you know, not necessarily, well, it could be for you, but it could be for somebody else like it was for Joseph. You know, he was the one who became the savior of his family, actually, and then in Hebrews 12, I'm going to have to pick up the pace here because I'm way behind. Hebrews twelve five, And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not the chastening. Oh, you had to say that. The chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth. Don't you want the Lord to love you? Yes, we want the Lord to love us, don't we? Well, for whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and he scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. So there you have God there is involved in some type of suffering as far as your suffering. Well, Lord, why are you chastening me? Why are you disciplining me? Well, because I love you. Why do I have to suffer this? Well, you know, because I love you. And and there's other reasons also. But the point being is that God was involved in it. See, he initiates like I initiated discipline when my children got out of line when I had to. So I became the initiator of their suffering. (laughs) That's what parents do, don't they? Stand in the corner. We had our one kid in the corner when they were what? How old? Maybe we shouldn't say, huh? A year. A year. Well, I'm talking about when they were much, much older. Oh. In the corner when they were 18. <laughs> and they are saying, this is so ridiculous. Well, it's not ridiculous. You're in the corner, aren't you? <laughs> well, I mean, just because they get out of their 12, 13 year old doesn't mean that you can't put them in the corner. Hey, you're living under my roof. Go stand in the corner. What? <laughs> now, we had to do very little of that, but... You know, I was at that point, uh, the initiator of their suffering for five minutes. So I'm just giving you a little example, say. The Lord does the same thing. You don't think that the Lord would say, "Hey, you got an attitude. Have a stand in the corner for a while." Well, he might not say those words, but we know we have an attitude, and He corrects us. So he becomes the initiator sometime of suffering, not the same, time, uh, same, same type as Satan, uh, but still, he does do that. I wanted to point that out. I was going to give you this scripture, Job nineteen, twenty six and 27. It says here that Job has had faith in God and his sufferings. See, That's important. As I said in the beginning, you'll go through things you won't understand, but that does not mean that you cannot trust the Lord and have faith toward him in the midst of what you go through. That's what you should have. Uh, and even though this is an, another interesting thing. Even though Job questioned and complained to God at certain times, he still had faith in God. So you can see this in certain portions of Scripture. And I'm not saying that you should have an attitude. No, 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 no. But Job questioned God. Have you ever questioned God? You see something you know, and you see a situation maybe with somebody you know, and something they're going through, or some sickness and some suffering. And you say, "Lord, why?" You know, you don't have the answer. And I mean, I think it's okay to to say why. It depends on how you're saying it in your heart. And so Job does that. He questions God, and he even complains. But he did it with the right heart. He didn't do it in a uh, Condemning way toward God. He didn't do it in a rebellious way toward the Lord. You know, it was, and you see, even see that in the Psalms. Why have thou forsaken me? (laughs) Why have you forsaken me, Lord? David even said some things like that, if you remember, when we studied Psalms. So I, I think the Lord's fine with that as long as it's coming from the right heart. Now, one of the things that I think is that. The the devil tries to take suffering, uh, use suffering to take a person toward sin and death. That's his purpose. God uses suffering to take a Christian toward character and toward life. So there's two different uh, directions, two different uh, outcomes. Even though it even may be the same identical circumstance, the enemy wants to take you one way. Remember, uh, I think we studied in James about temptation and testing, the difference. The temptation comes from Satan, and he wants to take you away from the will of God. He wants to take you away from God. The same situation will, uh, will bring about a test, and God wants to take you toward him. You see the same thing in the wilderness with Jesus where Satan, it says that the Spirit drove Jesus in the wilderness to be tempted, and when he's in the wilderness, Satan tempts him, and he's tempting him towards sin. But the Father's testing him and, and bringing endurance into Christ, these certain qualities, and he's moving him toward him, toward the Father. So that, that's the way it is with the suffering that we see. Satan wants to use it to bring destruction. He wants to to cause a person in their thinking to hate God. Whereas God can take the same thing, and if the person that's even in the suffering looks to the Lord, he can take them, change their thinking, and he can work something in their life in a way that, apart from the suffering, he, he couldn't do, I don't believe. Now, in John 9, for some people, God brings suffering that their heart may turn to Him. And someone had mentioned that when we talked early on in the class. John 9, verse 2. And His disciples asked Jesus, saying, Master, who did sin this man or his parents that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither. Hath this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him? Verse 6. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground, and made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay, and said unto him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, and so, so on. And he went his way, therefore, and washed, and he came seeing. So this particular thing here. Uh, this suffering, I mean, bo- being born blind, there's a type of suffering with that. I mean, you can't even see. You have to have somebody, the guy probably had to have somebody take him there every day to sit him there and then pick him up later on in the day and, and uh, take him home. Couldn't do much himself, couldn't function cert- and, and do certain things, so there's a type of suffering with that. And God used this thing not only to turn this man to to the Father, to Christ, but also those around him that knew the man was blind. He was born blind. And I think this is where he goes into the synagogue and they're questioning him. And, you know, all this different stuff, they're asking him and he says, all I know is I once was blind, now I see. And so the Lord can use a type of suffering to point or bring a person to him now I don 't know if that's rare or it happens more than we know i don 't know, but I do know that there are examples in the Bible and it does happen so the the Christian whose heart is softened, will be able to find and see God in a lot, you know a lot of things where the world they won't see much of God in anything except he's evil and wicked and he allows these things to happen and, and so on. And then moving on, and I'll, I'll have to start to just read some of these. Suffering can bring spiritual growth. Okay, James 1.3, it says, "...because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance." See, so that's that's a characteristic that that that's spiritual growth there. So testing that type of suffering there brings about uh, a growth. Deuteronomy eight three. It talks about growth in First Peter one seven. I'm gonna have to read some of these. that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perishes. So a, a trial or a testing, if you're in a trial, there is some aspect of suffering related to that for you. That the trial of your faith being much more precious than gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and glory and so on. And that's, there's a growth that comes out of it, praise and glory and whatever. There's growth. Um, What about injustices? Did Joseph experience injustice? Absolutely. Once again, that helped him grow. It could have stunted his growth if he would have just got mad at God. What did I do? I didn't do anything. All I did, Lord, was share what you showed me in this vision, this dream, to my brother's. And now, because of what you showed me, I am suffering in this pit. I am being hauled off to Egypt, and so on. So Joseph, even though he experienced the injustice, that that didn't mean that he was going to uh, grow as a Christian. See, I can experience injustice. You can experience injustice. But that doesn't mean you will grow. See, it's how you respond in that will determine whether you grow as a Christian or not, not just the suffering itself. That's that's nothing, I mean, that's, that's not, that is the means to an end as far as God's concerned. It can bring a person from where they are spiritually and can bring about a growth in their life. But it must be mixed with faith, you can say it that way, or it must be that the individual looks to the Lord and has a sor- soft heart and allows the Lord to, to, to draw them, even though they may not understand it. I don't think that Joseph understood everything he went through. He understood some things because he saw the dream and maybe he didn't, he didn't put all this together. He didn't know how it was going to play out. And I'm sure he didn't. But when he's in the midst of the situation, then his heart's there, okay, now, Lord, you know what, what's going on? And just staying down, like you were saying, you know, God bringing you down and humbling your heart so that now you can see certain things. And even, even if you don't, it doesn't matter. Still, you're in a position where God can cause you to grow. Suffering can, can be used as a way of discipline. That's in Hebrews 12 um, and also in Revelation 3, you don't have to turn there. He says, but as many as I love, this is whenever he's dealing with the Laodicean church, he says, but as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. So he says, be zealous. What? Be zealous for what? Well, to be rebuked and chastened. <laughs> He says, be, jealous, uh, be zealous, therefore, and repent. So if you have to have a need to repent, repent. Be zealous about it. Lord, I sinned. I sinned. You know, like people get all zealous over all these different things and they went, to get all excited. Whoa, oh, Lord, I repent because I sinned. Says, be zealous about it. <laughs> Don't be happy about it. Be, but be zealous that you can go to God and say, hey, forgive me. I repent. So, he says, I, I chase and rebuke those that I love. Hmm. Okay. Another thing is this. Um, suffering can bring about character. And Romans 5, three says, Tribulation worketh patience. We know that. Uh, Job. I, I want to read this verse in Job. This is what Job learned. He learned a lot, but I'm just saying this verse here shows something he learned in 2.10. But this is when his um, wife says to him, dost thou still retain thy integrity after he loses his children and he has these uh, sores and boils all over his body. She says, do you still hold on to your integrity? She says, curse God and die. And he says, but he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What shall we receive? Good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive uh, unpleasant trouble or evil, it says in the King James. In all of this, Job did not sin with his lips, so he learned not to sin with his lips in the midst of his suffering. So that's something we could learn there, because... You know, we want to just flip out. You know, what's going on here, God? You know, and we get all bent out of shape. Don't, I mean, don't, don't, I mean, if you do, don't, I don't want to know. But, (laughs) (laughs) you know, (laughs) everybody's shaking their head. I guess that means, (laughs) but the point is that, you know, we don't need to, we can be like Job and we can learn. Oh, my. <laughs> we can learn how to not uh, sin with our lips see, in the midst of our problems. We can learn that. So if you fail, that's all right. God knows we, you know, we're made of dust. We fail. That's okay. It's No big deal. But continue on and be more alert and ask the Lord to help you and to, to change you. So that the next time you're in something, or maybe you haven't gotten out of it, that you don't sin with your lips that time. Now, that's not saying you can't say question God. I'm saying, you know what I'm saying, you know, when you sin with your lips when it comes to God. Some people, right, I don't want to say this, Christians. Christians don't swear. (laughs) That's another subject, swearing. Swearing is not what we think it is, you know, by the way. But there are Christians who will swear and get all, all mad and frustrated and angry with God. And they'll just let Him have a piece of their mind. Well, maybe they shouldn't give God a piece of their mind because they might not have much left. They might only have a piece. (laughs) So that was a little joke there. Okay. (laughs) Psalm 119.71 says My suffering, listen to this. The psalmist says this. Now, this, this is not what I'm saying. I like the Bible because I can just read it. So you can believe the Bible and you don't have to say, oh, that, that Mr. that he said that. Okay, this is what the psalmist says. My suffering was good for me. What? <laughs> for it taught me to pay attention to your decrees. That's what the psalmist said. Psalm 119.71. The trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth. There's talking about purification. That's 1 Peter 1 7. One good thing about suffering suffering for the Christian in certain ways keeps the world from becoming too attractive to them. So, I mean, that's a good thing. You know, the the world can be attractive. You You look at this and you see it. Ah. Maybe I should go toward that. And then you go toward that, and you learn it. All of a sudden, there's a suffering that comes. You say, whoa, 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 what's going on here? Let me get back with God. So it can be something that keeps you from the world. You, you know, has anybody here suffered? Now, you can raise your hand Has anybody here done any suffering for the... For, for, I can't even talk. Have you ever suffered since you've been a Christian? No, everybody's putting up a hand or two. So you know that uh, that happens, right? You know, listen to me. If you would turn aside and go back into the world and become like you were before, I'm not saying to do that. I'm saying if you did, you would find out that you would suffer much, 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 much more than you are suffering in the will of God. It's a different type of suffering, too. It's very, very, very harsh. And it's not just an external, but an internal suffering, which is worse. So if you're in the will of God, you may suffer externally. You may even suffer emotionally. But in here, God keeps you. You are hidden in the cleft of the rock. And so the world looks attractive. But don't let that fool you because you are not going to find a place of rest in the world and you are not going to find the absence of suffering. Better to suffer in the will of God than to suffer as an unbeliever. He comforts you. Yes, He does. And the world doesn't. Yeah, the world does the opposite. They want to take every bit of comfort from you, they want to discomfort you. And actually, a person, a Christian that moves into the world again, the comforter will go and discomfort them too. And he will. Because, see, the word of God gets right in here. And you may not be at church. You can be wherever, and the word of God is still there. And the spirit of God can touch that and bring that back to your remembrance. And, you know. So we're never promised, by the way, as Christians, that we won't endure suffering, won't have suffering. Okay, now let's go to Romans 8, real quickly, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. You mean even your suffering? If you are in God, you are in Christ, you are walking with Him. Yes, everything. It says here, and we know that all things, it doesn't matter what it is that comes and touches your life, that God, if you are dedicated to Him, if you are dedicated, he will work all things for your good. And we know that all things work together, not for just everybody, not for just people for people in the world, not for just any Christian, but for those who love God, those who are dedicated to Him, to them who are the called according to His purpose. Now, for whom He did foreknow, He also did predestine He has predestinated, or He has predetermined, that you would be conformed unto the image of Jesus Christ. And so that becomes one of God's main objectives with you as a Christian, that his character, the character of Jesus Christ, would be built in you. And I, I can't help but to think that that is a more valuable thing than any suffering that a person or any suffering that we could see. The character of Christ built in the Christian is more valuable than we think. And I believe, and we can even go to some scriptures and see this, that even though there is suffering, God will allow that if he knows that there is going to be of the character of the Lord built in people. He will will let all kinds of things be as they are. That's how important it is. And it doesn't just, I mean, suffering itself is not the only means of having the character of Christ built in. And I'm not saying that. I'm saying that even though there is suffering, not only with you, but God would, he would allow much suffering across the world. And he does. Why? What's going on here? Well, don't get your eyes on the suffering and the evil, But see, he's interested in preparing a church, preparing a bride, putting the character of the Lord in people. And that, he wants to give plenty of time for that to happen. And if there's suffering in the world, there's suffering in the world. You, you, You can't put them on the same scale, so to speak. What does Paul say? That the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. Paul says, I reckon, or, you know, I'm seeing this. The sufferings of this present time, here we have them on the scale over here, are not even worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed. You can't even compare them. They don't Paul says they don't line up. The glory is so much more important, and God sees that and views that and knows that, and he is not moved by the suffering in the world like we are. In Romans 8, verse 20, For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willing, but by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption, you know, that's caused by sin and death, into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation, now listen to this, the whole creation groaneth and travaileth. Now, now we know that we groan and travail, it says that in pain together now, and not only they uh, all all not and not only they but ourselves also which have the first fruits of the spirits even we groan ourselves groan with within ourselves waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body so we know that there is a groaning in the human heart that that groaning we, we don't even sometimes realize that i i see sometimes you know you get this you know, and life is—that uh, is a groaning for this to be over, for for the adoption of the sons of God. Okay, that is in man. That also is in the animal king, because he says all creation groaneth. See, th- for, for some way. Remember, we we uh, in Revelation we talked about the communication uh, where John says that he, uh, all, all creation, all the fish in the sea and all that heard I say. So there's this communication he's seeing that we know nothing about now. The, the creation somehow is able to communicate. There is some type form of communication. I don't know. God knows. But in that, there is a groan in the animal kingdom. And also in nature, all of nature. And I believe that whenever we see some of these earthquakes and things like that, that is the earth groaning. I mean, that's how I see it. You see some of these natural disasters. That's the earth groaning and, and yearning for the manifestation of the sons of God, which will occur. And when it occurs, there will not be any earthquakes. There will not be the, the um, uh, I keep on trying to find the right word here, the, the, uh, between the animal kingdom. This, huh? Wars. No, I mean between one animal and the other, you oh. know. Um, yeah, Atimosity. animosity, whatever. I don't know what word I'm looking for. But anyway, you don't have that anymore between the the animals. You don't have that at all in creation. It'll all be gone, see. But until then, he says the whole creation, Paul says that the whole creation groans somehow. It's groaning, waiting for the manifestation. It says here, groaning and travailing in pain together. I don't understand that. Waiting for the the redemption, the, the the adoption, to wit, the redemption of our bodies, and so on. So, we don't really realize how much of a lower plane we're living on here on the earth now, because of of the sin and the death that came from Genesis. There, it's affected everything, everything. And you see in um, in Revelation that. God restores the animal kingdom. You know, he restores the earth too. So it's all going to be restored. He restores man. He's not going to let man live on this low, low, low level. Now, I'm, ta- I'm speaking about this natural level we're on. Spiritually, we should be much higher. you know. I'm not talking about that. But the lower level that, that is this existence that we live in, this, this world, this life, now, another thing is this, that a lot of the suffering in the world today that you see is a result of man's free will. Big thing, very big thing. For, for example, an abused child suffers because of someone's exercising their free will over that child. So I mean, that's, that's a form of suffering for the child. So that's because of man's free will. Someone is murdered because an, an, another person, their, their will has you know, taken over and they kill someone. So a lot of the suffering that we see worldwide and a lot of the evil we see worldwide is because of the choice of man. War, rape, atrocities, theft, uh, even in the realm of diseases, there are diseases that they engineer Because of man's free will, he has caused and he wreaks quite a bit of havoc in this earth, whether we really understand it or see it, but I think we do because we can see some of the things that are happening because men have chosen. You can't blame God because someone chooses to kill another person. They use their free will. God didn't want them to do that, but yet they go ahead and do that. And so there's a suffering there. Now, turn to Galatians. Not everything that we suffer, we are meant to suffer. Do you know that? Did you hear that? Not everything people suffer, they are meant to suffer. And this is very, very clear in this verse. Galatians 6, verse 7. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. (coughs) For what a man soweth that shall he reap. Very simple. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. Corruption, that's destruction, ruin, decay. But he that soweth to the spirit shall of the spirit reap everlasting life. So an individual sows some seed and it's some evil thing or some sin and they are going to reap Of that thing. See, now God doesn't necessarily want anybody to sow bad seed. You know he doesn't want you to do that. He wants you to sow good seed. So if you sow bad seed or you sow sin, you sow some other thing and you reap of that, and now you're reaping of something and you're suffering because of that, that's not something that God meant for you to suffer. That's just the law of sowing and reaping takes it. Takes effect. God just, he he makes these laws, spiritual laws, and they work. And they will work either for a person's good or for their bad. So let's say a person goes out and commits adultery, and they're sowing that. And they're going to reap all kinds of suffering from that. Well, God never wanted that to happen. And now they're in the midst of this suffering, and somebody's looking and says, why does God allow this thing to take place in this person's life? And all along, it wasn't God. It was the person who sowed a certain thing. So this law of reaping and sowing will, will bring about either good or it will bring about some suffering. And that suffering may not be at all what God is after. You see, You may not want that at all for the person. But they have chosen a certain way, and that's what happens. Okay, turn to, let me see here. We need to go to Genesis again. Now we're we're uh, winding down here. Genesis six, verse five, and God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thought uh, of uh, thoughts of his uh, heart were evil continually. Uh, verse eleven. And the earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. Now remember something. This is not too far removed from Adam, you know. I said that before. Verse 12, And God looked upon the earth, and, behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh was corrupt, corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh is come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, And behold, I will destroy them with the earth, so make an ark. So in in this particular situation, you had what took place in Genesis here with Adam and Eve, and not too far from that, it says the whole earth was filled with violence, and and they were evil continually. So God here is going to intervene in the affairs of man. See, and what he does, he sees the evil throughout the world, and he steps in and he does something about it. And, and we know what he does. He, he creates this flood. And it, it wipes them all out, doesn't it? Except for Noah and his family, right? That's what God did with the evil in the world back in Genesis. In Ephesians, it's, it says this about the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. See, that was what we saw in Genesis, here in in 6. And that spirit of disobedience is continuing to work in men down through the ages, down to our present time here now. The the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience, Paul says. It works in them. And what does it work? It works every evil type of work. The evil you see in the world today primarily is from the evil heart of man. And in particular, we're looking at Revelation. He says here in Genesis that the earth was filled with violence. Well, why doesn't God remove the evil from the world? That was one of the questions I gave you. God is going to intervene in the evil of the world again, like he did in Genesis. Not exactly the same, but the same basic principle. He is going to intervene in the book of Revelation. When we look at the wrath of God in Revelation, that is the intervention of God bringing all things to a head. See, but it's not the intervention that man wants. Man wants the injustices to to be removed. He wants the evil and the troubles to be removed so that he can live his life the way he wants. But remember, the evil is not a thing. The evil is in the heart of man. It's the sin and the death in there. And so when God intervenes to remove the evil, he's removing man along with it because that's the source of it. See, so man's not interested in God intervening in that way. He wants him to intervene the way they want him to intervene. But God's not going to do that. If God would intervene right now, like people say, why doesn't God just get rid of all the evil in the world right now? If he would intervene, we would be right in the middle of Revelation there. in in the judgments. That's what he's going to do. He is going to judge the evil hearts of men. The red dragon, the antichrist, the first beast of the the, uh, sea, the false prophet, the beast from the earth. And there's an interesting thing there. You see the red dragon or Satan, and you see the antichrist, and you see the false prophet, and you see this trinity, this unholy trinity that forms a league just like the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost to promote good. They're there to promote evil, and you can see the characteristics of Satan in the Antichrist and in the false prophets and in those who follow them, just like you can see the characteristics of Christ in those who follow him. And so you have that evil moving in the world, and God's going to come and he's going to intervene, and he's going to deal with that evil. But remember this, that the evil is just not an external thing, the sufferings that you see. It is based upon the evil in the heart that the dragon and the Antichrist and the false prophet promote and that filter out from their spirits and the spirits of those who are disobedient in the world. So when God intervenes, he has to deal with the judgments to try to get that changed in people. And it says in, in Revelation 16, in various places, that even though God did such and such, they repented not, but cursed him. If you remember when you read that, they cursed God. They they, they said, God's evil. Why Why would he do this? Well, he's doing it because he's going to bring things to a head, and the evil that is in the world is going to be judged and removed, and that is going to be man, because that's the source of it you seeing that It's very important to to understand that so when people say you know god why doesn't he intervene they don't know what they're saying if he's going to intervene to take the evil out, he's going to sweep them along with it so god just doesn't pay attention to any of this he doesn't pay attention to what people think of him wouldn't it be nice not to worry about what anybody thought about you God has the ability to say, well, I'm I'm making these decisions. I'm in charge. I know what I'm doing. if people don't like me, oh, well. I mean, I like them to like me. But there's a lot of people that don't like Jesus, you know. There's a lot of Christians that like Jesus as long as he does what they want. When he doesn't do what they want, then, you know, they're not hanging around. They're not in church. They're going their own way. So God's going to intervene someday, but it's not going to be what man is really wanting. And, and the difficulties and the sufferings that you see in the world are results of man's sinful choices, mainly. Now, in 2 Peter, I'll read this, 3.9, it says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish. And that's why God doesn't intervene. He says, but that all should come unto repentance. That's why God doesn't step in. He's he's giving man more time to repent. And when you look in Revelation, five of the seven churches, Jesus came to them and said, repent. The pastor in the churches, repent. Why? Because he wants them to, to change before he draws things to an end. And in chapter 16, it's the same thing. They didn't repent because of the hardness of their heart. See, that was their choice. Not his choice, their choice. So, remember whenever um, we I quoted this scripture, we actually looked at it, that, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Do you remember we talked about the seven spirits before the, the throne of God? Seven spirits sent forth unto the earth. See... That is so, so, so valuable that the seven spirits would be sent forth to you and I so that that would be developed, that those spirits, the spirit of grace and and what we looked at, that those spirits would be developed in you. God weighs that as being so, so important that if the suffering of this world has to continue on for another who knows how many years, a hundred, a thousand, who knows, it's worth it if the spirits of God are developed in Christians. You see, that's how important this is. See, a Christian or people will look at suffering and say, you know, you know why? Why has God let this happen? Why is this continuing? And as I said before, you look at it and you wonder sometime. But see, there's something else that God is after in this time, in this life. And having the seven spirits, even one of them developed in a Christian, is far, far, far more important than any suffering in this world. And to bear that out, you can see in Revelation what God does. In, in, during the tribulation, what happens And God's there, you know, he's not intervening yet. He doesn't intervene until the wrath. So there are things that are much, much more important than we think in his eyes. I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed. See, how many of us or how many Christians out there Really, really see that for the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared. They're not even worthy to, you know, don't even try to compare them because there there is no comparison with the glory which shall be revealed. Someday when the glory is revealed, we're going to say, oh, wow. Is that why you didn't intervene in these things? Is that why things were the way they were for this period of time? I think we're going to be shocked, shocked. Now, in Ephesians, in closing, just turn to Ephesians 2, last scripture. I have this in two translations. Verse 7. Now, remember, this life that we have right now, that we're living, is temporary. How many know that life is going by quickly? It seems as though I just graduated from high school, and that was so many years ago. <laughs> Those of you that are out of school, you're going to blink your eyes two times and you're going to be 50. You're going to say, yeah, right. (laughs) Wait, you'll see. It goes by so, so fast. So fast. And I I think there's something up with that. There really is. But anyway, the Lord has much, much more waiting for us. After this life, we, we don't perceive this. Now, this life is what, 50, 70, 80 years, however many years people live. And, you know, when you're young, 80 years, it's like, wow, that's so old. <laughs> you know, 50, oh, 50. Man, there's like one second away from the grave. <laughs> and there you are, you're 55. It's like, what? That happened so fast. What happened? Where'd time fly into a bottle somewhere? it's gone quickly so we have to remember that you should remember that when you you know have your next birthday how how quick time's flying here and remember that there is something that is much 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 more for you later past this life is much more going on god has something much greater it's going to last forever we can't even relate to forever i mean we can't even relate to living 200 years. How are we going to relate to never dying, you know, always living forever and ever and ever and ever, ever? <laughs> How long is that? It's longer than time. Who knows? It's just like, there's going to be a lot going on. And so this life, don't be so focused on this life. Do what you need to do, you know, and, you know, function the way you need to function, you know, provide for your family or whatever you need to do. And, you know, and, and realize that there's much more than this. And in this verse here, it kind of gives you, it's like this view, like, whew, it's like way, way out there. <laughs> wow, God's going to be doing something out there with us. That in the ages to come, see, that's lost upon us, the ages to come, he might, meaning the Lord, might show the exceeding riches of his grace And his kindness toward us through Jesus Christ. I'll read that from another translation. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches, immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So I don't have any idea what that means, but I sure know one thing in here that's going to be pretty good. Pretty good. And, you know, once we pass off this life, things are going to be different. We're going to see things quite differently. And we're not going to be tired for sitting in a class for an hour and a half. (laughs) You know, we're not going to die anymore. We're not going to be sick. There's so many different things. And not only that, but then we're going to be in close proximity to Jesus. Wow. I can't even imagine that. That's going to be something, really something. So suffering is in the world, we know. Don't let that throw you when people come along with the Epicurean philosophy, paradox, Epicurean paradox, you know. And they they say that God's wicked because he can't step in and stop the wicked and evil evil stuff going on in the world. But meanwhile, he doesn't do it for them. So give them more opportunity to repent. He doesn't do it for us to give us more opportunity to become Christ-like. So there's reasons behind, and there's probably a lot that we don't even know. But those are just a few. Giving us all the opportunity in this life that he can possibly give us. And he's a good God for that. He's very, very good. And so take that with you and remember that there are things that we won't understand, things that will be uh, in the world that we will see the suffering, but still trust him. Look away to him. A living water.